I'd ask if you would open your copy of the Scriptures and join me in John 18 this morning. We're going to be working through the tail end of John 18. You'll see on the screen it says John 19. That is true. It is page 905 in the Blue Bibles. We're kind of doing an overlapping text. Uh, We're going to finish up John 18, verses 28 all the way through verse 16 of chapter 19. So this passage is revolving around Jesus before Pilate. And Jesus has asked quite a few questions by Pilate. Pilate then asks the people, the Jewish rulers, as well as the, 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 the crowd, questions as well. And I don't know if it's been a while since you played 20 questions. Did you eat breakfast this morning? Raise your hand. Okay. Do you know how Jesus died? Raise your hand. Do you know if Jesus came back to life? Raise your hand. Okay. What's your favorite color? Oh, that's not one of those questions. Ah, testing you. Good job. So let's, let's pick up. We're just going to jump right in this morning. Picking up at verse 28 in chapter 18. Please hear God's word. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. Now the they is the Jewish leadership, the chief priests, their uh, soldiers, uh, rulers of the Sanhedrin, the governing body of Jewish authority. Even though Rome occupied Jerusalem, it still had a Jewish leadership structure that served the people under Roman occupation. So Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? His first question. And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. And Pilate said to him, well, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called, <clears throat> called Jesus and said to him, question two, are you the king of the Jews? Interestingly enough, the guy being interrogated starts asking his own questions. Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice, and Pilate says to him, what is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. 
Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he had made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters and again said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And so when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat in in a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered him, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. This is the the nature of this passage. Multiple encounters between Pilate and Jesus. He is at first curious as to the offense of this man brought to him. Now remember that the Jews had reached out to Pilate privately and they asked him for soldiers to go with him. We see those soldiers in the garden arresting Jesus along with the, the soldiers that work for the Jewish police. And the Jewish police and the Roman police are working together to capture Jesus. They sent a cohort. Anywhere between 200 and 600 men went out in the dark with torches and weapons to arrest Jesus. They felt like he was a real and present threat. So now that Pilate is introduced to the man who has caused all this ruckus, they say, here he is. Take him and judge him. And he asks simply, What accusations do you bring against this man? Look at verse 29 of chapter 18. He's not so cooperative as they might have thought. And so they're a little annoyed with this, it seems. They tell Pilate, just basically trust us. We've given him over to you. Go forward with the execution. But Pilate is no quick. He's not quick to judge Jesus here. 
So when he asked the question, we are told in verse 30, that they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. As we said last week, it's this formula of trust us, we would not bother you with insignificant things. And Pilate said, well, then judge him yourself. And they said, well, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Again, this is a sign that Jesus' words will be fulfilled. You see John using the same language here in verse 32 of chapter 18. This was to fulfill the word. He will use that same language when this was to fulfill the scriptures that were written about him. In a real sense, John is putting Jesus' words on the same level as scripture. And he's making an argument to his audience so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God. So Pilate, hearing this, as we look at verse 33, he goes back into his headquarters, these men who would not defile themselves by entering a Roman house so that they could eat Passover, had no qualms in seeking the death of an innocent man. Ironic, isn't it, how hypocrisy can so blind us to what is true and right? We can say one thing and do a complete opposite, and it doesn't even hit our consciences. Friends, we need to beware of sin like that, of burning and searing our conscience against God when He speaks to us truth in His Word. May it guide and govern our lives. We don't get to massage it. We don't get to tweak it. But Pilate returns into his house, and then after asking the Jewish rulers and leaders a question, he asks Jesus a question in verse 33. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus is curious. Are you saying this because you're interested? This comes from your own curiosity? Or are you saying this because other people have told it to you? It almost begs to question whether or not Jesus would have responded one way or another differently depending on how he answered it. Maybe he's inquiring about who Jesus is, sincerely motivated. Well, Pilate's answer is pretty succinct, right? Am I a Jew? Dude, I'm not interested in all this stuff. What have you done? Your own nation. Now, this is why he's puzzled. If you are the king, why would your own people turn you over to me to be destroyed? The people who we all know would love to see Rome kicked out and a new rulership, a Jewish king set up. So what have you done? That's what he asks in verse 35. What have you done? If, if you are an enemy of your own people, then maybe, Pilate's thinking, you could be my friend. You've got to understand something about this guy, Pilate. Uh, he had a short stint governing Palestine and Jerusalem and Judea. He was really corrupt. He wasn't a very strong leader. He was bribed. He was moved by his own ambition and pride. And here's a guy who's always seeking an opportunity. He had no qualms about killing Jews. But if he could somehow turn Jesus to his advantage, then Jesus becomes a pawn for Pilate to root out more troublemakers within Judaism. Or perhaps he could get rid of this guy, Caiaphas, and his father-in-law, Annas, who has been holding the high priesthood for so many years in his control, and he could get rid of this guy and insert someone more accommodating. Pilate, ever the opportunist, is seeking to understand where this is all going to fall. 
He's quite surprised, no doubt, to hear Jesus' response in verse 36. When he says that my kingdom is not of this world. How can you be a king without a kingdom in this world? He goes on to say, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate asked him, so you are a king? Basically, Jesus has admitted to being a king, and Jesus says, well, yeah, it's not the terms I would have used or chosen, but yes, you say that I'm a king. Let me just tell you, this is the reason for my being born and the purpose for which I have come into the world. It is to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice, to which Pilate scoffs, what is truth? Truth is just commerce. It's bought and sold. It's what's ever convenient. It's what's ever profitable for oneself. So after this interaction, Pilate then returns to the Jews in verse 39. Not having gotten much traction with the Jewish leaders, it's almost like he turns to the crowds when he goes back outside and he tells them, hey, I found nothing of guilt in this guy, which is quite profound because Jews... A Jewish king would naturally be a threat to Roman rule, wouldn't you think? And so it gives us a little insight into Pilate's perspective on Jesus. Either Jesus is delusional, how can you have a kingdom without it being of this world? But yet he is true. There has been no one who has sought to pull Jesus back into their protection. There's been no armed conflicts outside of that one little thing he heard about, an ear being taken. But then this guy healed it, according to another gospel account. And so there's really no evidence to see that Jesus is a threat. So he goes to the people and he tells them, I find no guilt in him. According to the custom of the day, Pilate would try to appease the Jewish people by releasing a prisoner. Now make, make, make a note of this. You have a man who's being accused of doing wrong... There are no concrete witnesses. There is no evidence of wrongdoing, and yet he's being tried. And then you have men who have been tried and are awaiting execution. Get this in your mind. One whose innocence has just been declared. I find no guilt in him, but I could release someone who is guilty Or I could release back to you the guy who you say is the king of the Jews and who I find no guilt in. There's no threat to Rome here. Nothing to see at all. And when the people are presented with this, they cried out again, according to verse 30, not this man, but Barabbas. The the Jewish leaders had infiltrated the crowds. They had sown the seeds of discord. The people were being convinced that Jesus was a threat. (coughs) I think it's interesting When Pilate asks this question, he goes back into the room, his headquarters in verse, returns to Jesus. He mistreats Jesus. He flogs him. What's interesting is the Romans had basically three versions of this flogging. Uh, The first was basically uh, a moderate spanking. It was a, a, a way in which to hurt somebody and to make an example of them and to say, don't mess up again. The second level was quite a bit more severe, and you would be whipped. 
The third level was that catastrophic event that usually preceded crucifixion. And the purpose of that beating was to so weaken the person who was being beaten that they would actually die on the cross faster than a healthy and a whole person. That third level of flogging was so severe that people often died receiving it. It's so severe, history tells us, eyewitness accounts that the Romans would take, especially for the Jews, and this was a punishment that was reserved only for non-Romans. A Roman would only be executed capitally by, ex, uh, by his head being cut off. This type of punishment was for the worst of the worst, non-Romans. And so they would take this whip, and attached to the ends of this whip would be bone, stone, sharp objects of metal, And whomever was administering could do it as long as they had strength to keep whipping the person. And the eyewitnesses tell us that sometimes people's bodies were so destroyed by what experienced in this most severe form that their guts would literally spill out. Their bones would be exposed. This is not the whipping that Jesus gets here. Now, you're you're thinking, what? What is a second? There's two other passages of Scripture that describe that. Matthew and Luke, that describe the most severe form of whipping and beating that the Romans could issue a man who was going to be crucified. But here, the flogging that takes place is not the same one. It's actually the lightest form. Now, we know that, so that means this, that the Gospels are not contradicting one another. It means that In John, he's emphasizing that Pilate didn't believe in Jesus' guilt or innocence. He believed in Jesus' innocence, and so he's trying to make a public example of him. It will satisfy, he thinks, the Jewish leaders who wanted something done with Jesus. Well, he was beaten, he's mocked, he's abused, but he is, in a sense, intact, and he can go back into the general population of the community. Pilate wants to see him delivered. And so that's the beating that we have here to satisfy these guys who thirsted for some blood, who wanted some repercussions to this, and that's what he's giving them. What will happen later, and John doesn't record it here, but the other gospel writers do, that more severe beating will take place, which means Jesus was beaten twice. Once, a severe spanking. The other time, a near-death experience which is why he was not able to carry his cross very far. So here's this. These, these men are given freedom to mock Jesus. The first couple verses of chapter 19 tell us this. The, the soldiers, they twist together. We've got the Jewish king here, folks. Let's give him a crown worthy of him. And they take these long thorns and they weave them together and put a crown on his head. Uh, other gospel accounts talk about giving him a, a scepter of a sort. They beat him on the head, and it just adds to the pain of what Jesus has experienced. And then they take the officer's robe, a purple robe, and they wrap that around Jesus. And in their offense, uh, in their efforts to come up to him and, and to bow the knee to worship and pay reverence to this king, they fake that they're going to bow down, and then they hit him in the face with their hands. <clears throat> Make no mistake, here's the amazing thing about truth. Truth can be rejected, it can be mocked, it can be ridiculed, and it still is truth. You have unknowing Gentiles worshiping Jesus. 
Now they're doing it mockingly. But it has nothing, it takes away nothing for the truth that Jesus indeed is the King. He's being crowned. He's being coronated. It's a bloody affair. It's a, it's a, a perverse way to treat someone. Yes, but nonetheless, John is saying this King is King. Even if his worship is a mockery at this point in time. Pilate then comes to the people with this Jesus. Verse 6 tells us he's bringing him out. He presents him to the people in all his glory, a crown of thorns and a borrowed robe, beaten and bloodied. And he announces to him, Behold the man. And that the officers cry out, Crucify him, crucify him. And again, Pilate says, If you don't like my verdict, that there's no, nothing guilty as he said in verse 4, I find no guilt to him. See, I'm bringing you out to him. I've beaten him. I've treated him uh, with a, a reprimand and a punishment. And I want you to know I find no guilt in him for a second time. Yet that wouldn't satisfy the people. So Pilate says, you don't like my judgment? Then, uh, then crucify him yourself at the end of verse 6. For I find no guilt in him. And I think it's interesting that we see three times that the magistrate, the one who is going to sit in the seat of judgment, has declared Jesus to be innocent. And what does that do when we compare it to Peter's three denials of being a follower of Jesus, of knowing Jesus, of being with Jesus? Again, I think the argument is you can call truth a lie, but because truth is truth, it cannot be destroyed by lies. Here is one who says he doesn't know Jesus, and here is another who says there's nothing wrong with this one. The one that you want to trade for, one who is waiting for his own crucifixion. A guilty one who's been found guilty under the law, whose witnesses actually bear a true witness to his activities. But then the crowds, they drop something that Pilate never saw coming as you look at this statement they make in verse 7. According to our law, he must die because he hath made himself the Son of God. Now Pilate hears this, and he's even more afraid, verse 8. So he goes back into his headquarters, and he presses Jesus. Where are you from? Now, Pilate, understand this. He is a superstitious uh, polytheist. Uh, that means that the Romans would worship a variety of gods. But they were superstitious in thinking that there were some men who were not truly only gods, but there was godlike, divine-like qualities in certain men. Men that could do things that just didn't make sense. And they were to be respected. And after all, what had he just done to this man? But beaten him allowed his soldiers to have their way with him. And now he's a little bit scared. His superstition is, this guy could actually bring a curse upon me. He could, he could do something that would ruin me. And so now he's like, where are you from? What is your identity? What is your background? Jesus gives him no answer. And then we have another profound question from Pilate. Don't you know that I have the power to give life or take life. I am trying to be your friend. 
I'm trying to set you free. Don't you know the authority that I have? And then Jesus sets him straight. You would have none unless it was given to you. Pilate, you you are under authority. You are not the ultimate authority. And therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. I believe Jesus is here speaking of Judas and the Jews as a whole, crucifying, setting Jesus to be crucified. And we see Pilate then redoubles his efforts. From then on, he sought to release him. But things are going poorly from Pilate's point of view. Uh, What went to, okay, I'll appease them by mistreating this guy and then setting him free, is now only escalating that he is learning more about this guy who is not acting like any prisoner he's ever met before, who is not pleading for his life, who's not begging to be set free, who in fact is owning up to a kingdom that defies logic, and then he's being described as the Son of God, and his composure in this moment where his life is on the line is so erratic that Pilate has to wrestle with, what if it's true? What am I into? What can be done? And so Pilate comes out in verse 15. After seeking to release him, he's hearing the accusations. He's kind of painted himself in a corner. And now he had the authority to release Jesus. He did. But he also had to walk that fine razor's edge of creating such a problem within the Jewish community that it would lead to problems for him with Rome. And in fact, a few years after these events, Pilate is removed from being governor of Rome and he kind of just fades away in the pages of history. So Pilate isn't looking for a riot to break out. And being told that, hey, if you, if you let this guy free, he has claimed to be a king, and there is no king but Caesar, and you will then show that you are not Caesar's friend. When Pilate heard these words, according to verse 13, he brought Jesus out. He sits down there, and for a time there is this st- the static situation. Nothing's changing. The crowds are clamoring for Jesus' death. Pilate is musing on his seat of what is supposed to be a seat of judgment. And you see the greatest injustice of all creation when an innocent man is pronounced guilty and sentenced to his death. And not just an innocent man, but the Son of God who is doubly innocent. Not just of a crime like treason, But he is innocent of coveting, of lust, of bearing false witness. He's innocent of worshiping any other God but then the one true God of Israel, the God of creation. He is innocent of making graven images. He's innocent of breaking the Sabbath. He's innocent of All these sins that we are guilty of. We're told it's about the sixth hour. And once again, Pilate appeals to the masses, Behold your king. And once again, they cry, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. And then he asks his final question, Shall I crucify your king? And then this statement. We have no king but Caesars coming from the chief priests. The very men 
who were to lead Israel in the worship of the king above all kings, as Nebuchadnezzar came to find out, the king who rules the nations, when the people came into the temple, the chief priests were to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people on the Day of Atonement to lead them in the national worship of the one true God. And they renounce their loyalty to Yahweh and say our loyalty is now with Caesar. The center of this whole argument that John is making is that Jesus is falsely accused without due process. There are no witnesses that actually testify against him that prove indeed what is being said about him. Ironically, even as we read all this, we understand who he is. We understand what's happening to him, that he is being railroaded. In fact, the answer to the question, what have you done, that Pilate asks Jesus back in verse 35, is simply this. Jesus told the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. He bore witness to the fact that God sent him into the world in order to become the Savior for this world. Go with me, if you would, just real quickly, back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now skip down to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. You see, this is the fulfillment. John starts his prologue. Everything is building to the crucifixion. Everything is building to the resurrection. Jesus came to bear witness to the truth that in him was life and that no one can come to the Father except through him. And why do we need that message? Is it to just add an accessory to our lives? Is it to just somehow improve our marriages or our parenting? Is it to help us to get better grades? By coming to church and giving up time, somehow we get smarter and we, we're better athletes or students. No, the reason we need this message is because of the fact that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. He came to a world full of darkness. And that darkness is the sin that is in you and I, the pride. We have no king but ourselves. Lord of my life? No. I've got plans. I'm just biding my time in this Christian environment right here at South Canyon until I'm old enough or I've made enough money where I can go and do what I want to do. And we are our own gods. This is why Jesus had to come into this world. And the promise that we read in verse 12 of chapter 1 is that to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. They were not born 
Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If we don't preach the truth that men, women, even beautiful little boys and girls have an innate, inherent default setting of being selfish, of being sinners. If we don't talk about the depravity that is in our own hearts, I know we're good people. We're really nice, except when someone's not nice to us, then we have the freedom to not be nice to them. But if we elevate our goodness, then the gospel is not worth anything. It's just put a little shine on it. Lipstick and perfume, that's all it is. But once we see how desperately we need the gospel, yesterday at the funeral for Tyler's dad, we're singing Amazing Grace, and I'm reminded, I'm taken like in a second back to that point where I leave a hospital after having a surgery on my eye and being blind to now, days later, they take the patch off and I can see for the first time in almost a year out of this eye. Once I was blind, now I see. That song, Amazing Grace, that phrase wasn't just a physical reality. It was also a spiritual reality for me. I grew up in a church much like South Canyon in doctrine. Hearing it and didn't have an interest in it. And the worst thing that we can do is just come back to a text and wrestle with the questions that Peter or that Jesus is being asked. Are you the king of the Jews? Are you really the son of God? Where are you from? What's this all about? What's the crime that he's done? Don't you want me to let your king go? And we just look at it from a historical perspective and we lose the fact that this was an injustice that we needed to happen. In fact... We also should be praising God that Jesus was crucified for us. Our our forebears, spiritually speaking, were there in that moment crying out for His blood. And if God had not sent His Son to save us, if if this is just a, we don't need atonement for sin, we just need to be better, well, my goodness, We don't need to be here today. In fact, we could just shut the doors on this place and just go out and whatever better is for us, just do it. But we need to be confronted with the fact that we are sinners who need a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior. And that all that Jesus has done for us is sufficient for all we've done against Him. And that that there's no meeting of the minds. There's no halfway work on our part to finish what Jesus couldn't do. It's all of Christ. It's all of grace. And as the crowd is being presented with this truth, Pilate is learning about things about Jesus that are good for the reader to hear. Because if you turn just a couple pages later to John chapter 20, look at what what John is trying to do here. He kind of creates a roadmap in chapter 1 where he's going. He's going to make the argument that Jesus is the eternal God who took on flesh in order to live a perfect life for you and I who can't and who haven't. And then he is going to sacrifice his life to take upon himself the wrath of God 
righteous judgment so that he can drink and empty that cup of wrath in order that he might give the life that he alone possesses to those who trust and believe in him. That's the prologue. That's the introduction to John's gospel. Now we come to chapter 20 and you look at this. What does John say in verse 31? These things are written so that you may believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ the Jewish Messiah, He is the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. John wants his readers to be convinced that Jesus is who He says He is. And so, we get to see Pilate interacting with Jesus. Are you the King of the Jews? Yes, He is. What is the nature of your kingdom? It's a spiritual kingdom right now. It's a kingdom that's based on truth. It's a kingdom that is not a threat to Rome presently, but it will be a threat to not only Rome, but to every kingdom that is on the earth and every kingdom that is in the heart of man. One day that truth of who Jesus is and our sin against a holy God is going to interact and intersect with your heart and your aspirations, your desires, your longings, your deepest secrets, your guilts, and your pleasures that are sinful. And you are going to have to wrestle with, am I going to bow the knee to this king, or am I going to mock him and strike him like one of the royal soldiers? And John, he makes no bones about the fact he is trying to convince us to believe the truth about Jesus. We go to, back to our passage, and I want to close with just one more observation. This is, uh, it was a little bit of an epiphany for me as Jesus is speaking with Pilate. And we go back to chapter 18 and verse 37. Jesus is telling him that I am a king. You say it, I am. It's true. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now, I want to focus in on Jesus' statement, his purpose statement. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. And it made me think about this for a little bit. How does something, like let's just take the, the non-Christian point of view about Jesus, is that he was born out of some illegitimate union, and then he was a great teacher, and he did some amazing things, but mostly he was a good example of how to respond to your enemies and not lose it. So how does something that doesn't exist have purpose and know that it has purpose? How does something that doesn't exist have a mission and a responsibility that is understood? I don't know, I could be reading into this, but as I'm studying this passage, I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh my word, this is like Jesus subtly slipping into the fact He is pre-existent. Before Abraham was, I am, He said, and the Jews wanted to pick Him up stones and stone Him. When He talks to them about being equal with the Father, and He and the Father are one, and that before, as John says, what we read in chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here's Jesus saying, I am eternal. 
That's how, before I am manifested in flesh, before I'm born, I know what my mission is going to be. Because my existence didn't begin in the womb of Mary. I am eternal. This is the king that we are being presented with. And I'm going to close with this question. Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? Is Jesus your king? Is he Lord of your life? Is he the one who has not only freed you from your sin, but also bought you with a price of his own life? Therefore, we are to glorify God with our bodies. It is not free grace that we are preaching here. It is a grace that frees us from bondage to sin, and then it's a grace that then loves us to respond to our new Master, our new Lord, our new King, Jesus. And we are to live lives that honor Him by bearing witness to the truth. By understanding that this king has a kingdom that is coming into the world. And this is a part of it. A small part of it. You and I who are in Christ are a part of that kingdom where the truth is being witnessed to. And where the truth has to be shared in our neighborhoods. And we have to evangelize and disciple. It's so wonderful to see Cliff and Becky follow Christ in baptism. But we want to see more of that, not less of that. We want that to be the norm and not the rarity. We want to see God help us start more churches and send more missionaries from this one to the nations. There's a mission. There's a church. There's a kingdom. And I wonder if we have cried out. We have cried out for that crucified one to atone for our sins. That's the invitation I want to close with this morning. Have you asked Jesus not to make your life better, but to make your life new? There's a difference. Have you confessed your sins? Have you trusted in Jesus as the one sent from God for the purpose of bearing witness to the truth that there is a day of judgment coming and woe to us if we are not prepared for that day? Have you seen Jesus as the crucified but risen Savior of the world? And have you trusted in His work to satisfy our holy God? If that's the case, then you should join this church and partner with us. We need more people who are gospel-bought, blood-bought people who love Jesus and want to serve Him. And if that's not the case, then you can talk to me or any of the men whose faces appear on the back of the bulletin. We want to talk to you about how you can know that Jesus is the Christ. We want to answer questions. We want you to keep exploring the claims that He makes. Lord, we pray and we praise You We thank you for the grace of doing what you did for us. This this account speaks of the preparations that were being made for your crucifixion. They show us that some who doubted walked away. We see that some who hated and therefore rejected. And we see some, like Pilate, who are caught in the middle but are weak morally and who refuse to take a stand. And yet we know that all of this was by your plan. It had to be that you, 
Your son was crucified, judged not only by the Jews, rejected not only by his own people, but also rejected by the the authority of Rome, which represented the world. We've all rejected him. And our prayer simply is today, Lord, that you would draw, as we lift up Christ, that you would draw us to believe in him. And that you would bring us into your family through his life, death, and resurrection. Thank you, God, for the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that many more will come to know him as the one who alone can deliver them from their sin. And we pray that you would give us a courage as a people to be witnesses and to know that our authority that we live under is not of king or country, but it is of Jesus. And that that would motivate us to go and tell. In Jesus' name, amen.